Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Neurodive Pod. But you also might be watching this on Facebook, uh, just because I feel I'm going to put it up as a video on Facebook, which we might do with with podcasts from here on in. Um, but I am delighted to be joined today by Maddie Roberts. Maddie, thank you for joining me. Um, who I was going to—I can't think of a better way of putting it—but slid into my DMs. <laughs> a few days ago um with but for a worthy cause uh with a petition um that she was asking me to share uh, which i took a look at and immediately was like yeah brilliant this this is exactly the sort of thing um i've been kind of talking about recently on social media and webinars a lot about how um yes on the one hand i understand parents frustration and families frustration with the sort of face-to-face professionals that we're working with that perhaps always don't have the best attitudes but also perhaps are often overworked overstressed by the system they're in as well um and actually what's really important is that we start acknowledging where the faults lie and shouting up a little bit at, at the system and, and and trying to come up with things that could make it better as well as identifying what's not working um so when i saw your petition maddie i was fully on board signed it straight away started sharing it um and then we got talking and i thought it'd be a good idea to get you on the podcast and just hear more about it in detail so you're probably better placed to explain exactly what the petition is um, and I'll put make sure I put a link in the, the video and the podcast where people can sign it as well. In that because um, it's something that I now have such a passion for. I just never shut up about everywhere I go to everybody I'm talking. So you may you may take that sentence back saying that you're interested in it. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, I suppose for me, how it started um, was I've got a nine-year-old son who is autistic, ADHD. 100% TDA profile. Um, been my journey started back in 2017 when I originally was going to his school and saying, look, we're really having struggles here, challenging behaviours before and after school. Obviously, school were just he's absolutely fine in school, no problems. This went on for years, went into the pandemic. Um, he went into school as a vulnerable child and actually sort of like seemed to do okay. I think there's only like 10 children in the school. Um, which obviously didn't surprise me that he was okay with going in. It wasn't like the school environment. They were just, you know, in the dining room and learning in that way. Um, but January last year, I kind of was like, right, this isn't going to work when the schools bring back open. I could see that he was starting to really, really struggle. Um, so I kind of went to our local council and the school and said, look, you know, what, what am I going to do? If I can't get him to come into school, where, where do I go? What happens? Um, so local authority actually did put a, a stop on my family getting fined. So in essence, they were kind of like recognising that I was sort of quite stressed about this fine that was coming because I didn't know how else we were going to be able to um, support him and help him really. So that started a chain of effects where um, I rung CAMS and just said, look, you know, he'd literally got to the point where he wasn't eating, he wasn't dressing, he was in his bedroom, he wasn't engaging with us. It just absolutely broke my heart. Um, we were fortunate in a way, I guess, that we were taken on immediately by the professor at CAMS and he was also taken on under the neurodevelopment team. Um, 
which a lot of families that I talk to obviously are like, wow, you know, he's he's autistic and Cam's have taken you on like that quickly. And I was like, this for me was kind of how I was like pushing so hard because I just seriously was like, I can't do this to him. I, re I refuse to do this to him. So we've begun all our meetings with all of like early help, um, the school, everybody was involved in all these meetings. Um, but no education was put in place for him. Um, so weeks turned into months and we got to sort of the summertime and I thought, you know, this, this school's really never going to understand the problem or work with me or help me. So we looked at a much, much smaller nurturing school. And I have to say, like, the Senko was absolutely amazing. Um, they put everything in place, a one-to-one. -one. They gave him a card so he could come in and out the classrooms. He'd had an issue with the previous school where one day he'd been in school and he was saying to me, like, the days were too long, the work was too hard. I'd said to them that, you know, there's no legal obligation to be here at the minute. We're in a pandemic. We're in lockdown. Um, and he'd just come out distraught one day. And I said, what, you know, whatever's the matter? And he said, I asked to go home and they told me no. I said, oh, right, okay. Spoke to school about it and they were like, no, this never happened. But all they wanted to keep talking to me about was that the 8th of March. Boris says on the 8th of March, you know, all children legally have to come back into school. And I said, well... You can sit and talk to my son about that as much as you like, but that's not going to make him get dressed and come in. Now, from that moment onwards, he couldn't look at that school building. Um, and they started then within the meetings and they were like, OK, well, we, we will listen to him then. Um, we, we will give him a bit of blue tack um, and we'll allow him to sort of in and out the classrooms. And I kind of said, like, from my perspective, I was like, you've got my child to the point where he cannot look at your school he has no trust in the teachers in the building in the system the only way i could describe it was it's like throwing a life jacket to somebody who's already drowned um so we moved the schools and and it became very apparent really quickly within three weeks like he'd gone in and done maybe an hour here and an hour there and he'd used his card he loved his one-to-one -one, um but he was seeing going in as like really spending time for his one-to-one -one and just spending time with her. But within that, we then started to see sort of like OCD behaviours and what he was doing then when he was there is going off to the toilet. And it was kind of like his escape out of the classroom. And as a parent, I kind of believe that that was his only thing that he could control in that environment was to sort of remove himself and go in. So... I kind of made it clear from that point. I was like, this, you know, this really isn't going to work. We'd got his EHCP finalised, which schools had always said he wouldn't get one because academically he's absolutely fine and he's fine in school. So I'd applied for it myself and we did get one. However, I was really upset with it because in my opinion, it's really like an ableist bit of scribble. Um, it talks about him learning to listen to other children talking for two minutes at a time. It talks about him learning how to deal with his sensory issues in a classroom and things. And I was kind of like, this is an environment that he's already telling us that he doesn't like. This is a place that he already doesn't want to go. And then what you want to do with him while he's there is try and sit him down and get him to talk, listen to somebody else about a topic he's not interested in. And I was kind of like, for me, I was like, but as humans, do we not all have that right to walk away from somebody if we're not interested in what they're talking about? 
you know, and, and you don't have to be rude in that, do you? You don't have to go, oh, I think you're talking nonsense, goodbye. But if you're generally in a conversation with someone and you think, well, this don't really float my boat, you wander off. Um, so we stopped taking him. And at that point, I then put in my formal complaint um, to our local authority um, and basically said, look, you know, I've got into some support groups now. And my understanding is from the section 19 that after 15 days of my child not being able to attend school, he should be being provided with education. So with that, what they did was kept asking for medical advice, medical reports, medical advice. We need this. So the professor at CAM provided a letter um, which basically told them, just said, you know, this child is not fit for full-time school. He could potentially come in part-time, and the key word here was if his anxiety allowed. Now, this is what local authority held on to, like the professor said. Professor said, and I said, that's lovely what professor says, but he doesn't know my son like I do, and he isn't here. And I guess, like, my argument was, like, the proof is in the pudding. If my child can't get to the building and get into the building... He cannot attend. What more evidence do you need? Um, so they wanted another letter, so he provided a, a second letter. Still wasn't good enough for them. Um, so this went through their 12-week um, complaint system. Um, and basically, believe it or not, the person that investigated my complaint was involved in my complaint. He was the access and inclusion officer that was in my complaint. So I kind of went back to them and I was like, this is ridiculous. How can somebody sort of look into a complaint about themselves? Because he's not going to sit there and suddenly go, oh, okay, I was wrong. Sorry about that. Mm. Which predictably he come back and said, no, I don't uphold it. We believe we're right. Um, I then pushed it for an independent investigator. I was like, I'm still not happy with this. This is what you need to do. So they provided that. Um, and that then sort of went through Christmas time. Bearing in mind, so this complaint went in in August. And in all this time, my child is just sitting at home suffering, you know, not only with that sort of lack of education, but also, as we know, the system is so slow um, with providing any sort of medical support or nobody seems to know, you know, what to do. So <clears throat> the... SEND consultant that has now done my report has upheld my complaint. Um, so basically what, what, what her complaint, uh, what she saw when she looked into it, you know, she kind of said to me, it's very clear. This is, you know, this is all really clear stuff that's gone on with your family. And um, her report was 26 pages long all of the wrongdoings and what needed you know picking apart and all the options that they had but they delayed at um so I was a bit on a buzzy one last week as you can imagine because I was like finally you know and I just happened to be on a support group and Susan was in there and she was just saying like oh you know um I really want to put a letter together and and try and stop these like fines or or stop them from encouraging fining um, and yeah, I kind of was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I want to do as well. And like literally within an hour of meeting each other, I'd sent a, a message to Kenza um, just because I'd seen him on the night before with Harry and he'd kind of obviously come across as somebody that was really interested in helping and stuff. So I thought, oh, I'll push my luck. I'll send him and, and see if he would be interested. And 
he spoke to us within minutes like he appeared on the screen and literally it's just gone from there it's mm. you know it's just been a case then that we were a bit like oh you know are we going to get much interest in it is it gonna because we know everybody wants to be doing this we know a lot of people are struggling but like getting people to put their name on that bit of paper is completely a different thing um so yeah so me and susan have only known each other about six days we put okay together, you guys have you know really helped us we've got the support of like amazing um organization support groups that are all happily putting their name onto this letter um and Harley and I did a bit more um, recording with ITV News yesterday because obviously they filmed with us. We did a protest last year outside the council offices and they obviously did some filming with us about our story and loved them. They've waited all this time to come back to get an update and this being upheld. So I kind of feel at the moment it puts me in a little bit of a good position to start supporting and helping other people if that makes sense because a lot of people sort of locally I think that have seen me talking at the council meetings and sort of really fighting this issue have kind of said oh, I, don't, I don't know how you've got the strength to do this or I don't know how you carry on going and it's kind of like for me so many people said why have you not deregistered why have you not just given up and I'm like well because my son has a legal right to a full-time education that he can access you know, and it's just purely that's been the fight in my belly. And I think now getting this um, this complaint upheld and holding that bit of paper, I'm kind of like, it can be done. <laughs> you know, and that's not sort of to say that, oh, I've done it, everyone can do it. But it's that like kind of just being there with people, I think sometimes, and being able to say, like, I really understand your frustrations. And, you know, I one of the biggest things for me out of the complaint that I've said to local authority is like the late, the send officer, the consultant that did my report is absolutely lovely. And, and I've chatted to her for ages and I said, you know, no disrespect to you. You haven't told them anything. I haven't been telling them for the last 13 months, you know, and that's then my sort of what I've gone back to the local authority with and said, right, how much money have you actually just spent on an independent investigator to tell you what I've been telling you all along. Mm. What a waste of money. Um, so yeah, this, this is sort of, sort of obviously where it went from here and this is how we're sort of developing on now to where we are, I guess. And it's just like, feels a bit exciting now. And I think it's just a completely different feeling. I've been in such a dark place. I've been in such a frustrated place. I've, you know, I said to them, you can't take back 13 months of crying and sobbing for help for your child or, you know, some of the lovely advice that I had from people in early help is, you know, can you offer him 50p a day? Can you, can you take all of him <laughs> during the day? Um, 50p? Day, you, you, you get more than that for teeth nowadays, like. <laughs> Could it, yeah, um, and then what was the other one? Oh, so yeah, he's so funny. So he sees through them completely, which just makes me laugh with how obviously he communicates with them. And I've had, you know, another thing that really gets me is the parent blaming. It's something that I feel really strongly about trying to change because, you know, that is so heavy on what professionals come in and say. You know, I've had my my parenting question 
so many times you're too easy on him you allow him too much control you need to put your foot down more and you know try and I found what I did like in 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 the moments of being so distressed and so broken myself was actually educating the professionals so what happens you know a lot of them have come out and I've you know I've had to explain PDA to them I've had to explain that it is, you know, an anxiety-driven need for him to feel in control. And very much, even from like the age of two, if we don't work together with what the outcome of something is, he's never going to do it. And it isn't necessarily, and I can see how some people might look on and say, right, well, that's just soft parenting or lazy parenting, you can't be bothered. It's actually a very difficult thing to do, but he, it might present to other people that he is in control of our family, but actually what we're doing is is allowing him to feel in control of situations so that we can function. What I don't understand, Maddie, this has always really confused, irritated me. What why don't why do professionals not realise that literally parenting 101, like what every single parent tries instinctively, is the consequences is the sort of we do it again if you do that again i'll take it away everyone's tried that the reason that there are parents saying i can't do that there's a reason for it that the response level of that child is so high that when you do that traditional approach it doesn't work you know it's it's like they think it's some sort of like rocket science that they've invented oh have you tried like being a bit firmer no of course i haven't like what what do you mean i love it they said to me about like the reward charts Mm. okay so I said okay brilliant yes what, what's your idea around this so it's the reward chart and you know if he does this he'll get that and if he does this he gets that so I said okay I said what do you think about that then as I sat and looked at him and he looked at me and he went I'm not your slave <laughs> I said there you go that's exactly what you're telling me you know and they say well he can't have his xbox then and and a lot of professionals have not I guess like the way I've advocated for him. And this is what I've said, because again, the parent blaming I've had in a social report written that it's my anxiety that causes my child's attitude around his thoughts about going to school. Okay? So mm. one, they wrote to me and said they didn't believe that was parent blaming. So I said, okay, let me just stop you there. One, one, one key thing here. If you're telling me that I don't feel like that's parent blaming, that's invalidating my feelings. You can't tell me that if that's how I feel your service has made me feel. You know, you can't tell someone they're wrong and how they're feeling about something. I said, and secondly, if you're invalidating me that much as a parent, is it no wonder my child doesn't want to engage with you either because you invalidate his feelings so much? To mm. which they don't really have much of a response. And the stage that I'm at now, they're talking about doing another um, educational um psych report the last one i've just read from a lady that had one done two weeks ago with her son is horrendous like absolutely horrendous so i said that's fine I said that's brilliant you can have one i said but it won't be unless somebody has a very in-depth knowledge of pda mm. and i've now kind of i think you know you build that strength up and your own voice and i'm now like no no more trauma here no more no more coming in with like ideas that are ridiculous, like your 50 teas a day. Do you know what I mean? And mm. like, and I know that a lot of people don't have the strength to do that. 
And I think that's what I try and get across when I talk to other parents about it, you know, and I always say to professionals, look, you know, I respect you very much. Well done. The amount of times I've been told, but I've got a degree. Well, that's lovely. Have you lived it? Have you ever got up in that? <laughs> surely, surely not. Did someone actually sit there and say, but I've got a degree? Yeah. <laughs> Where are these people? I, I need to meet some of them. Oh, I don't know. And, and, and it's not that I, it's not that I don't I, I totally believe you, Maddie, because I, I have to say, like hearing your story, it is it has similarities to stories I've heard from so many parents over the last five, ten years. So many that have been through that journey, so many that probably didn't quite have the wherewithal uh, and drive to kind of fight us, fight that as hard as you need to. You know, I, I worked with one parent. Um, and this was to do with getting uh, an EHCP reviewed so that the school could be transitioned to a specialist provision because it just wasn't working. She was being expected to physically drag her child to school. The, the teachers would then hold the child while she left and they were OK with that. And they weren't even writing it up as a physical intervention, uh, which I made sure I got her to change right away. Um and then was just starting to say to her, look, just don't do this anymore. Like, you know, why are you doing this? But I kind of understood why she was and part of that's why I like the petition so much, because it is a very specific thing that would perhaps stop that really, really traumatic situation happening for lots of families that haven't got perhaps the wherewithal to fight and advocate for themselves. If we put that in place, if we say no more fining, it, it protects some of those families that are have just got to kind of do what they can you know um and and, and this is like obviously what i said to you like my strong feeling around this and and me and my son have been through this and and i am probably too honest with people all the time i can't help it like if there's something in my head it'll come out if there's something in my heart i'll tell you and it's like it broke our bond like it broke our bond massively and after you know that was nearly four years of trying to get help for him that was the day that I did drag him in because all I was being told was you get him here you get him here and pants dressing gown got him in the back of the car got to the car the head deputy head stood well done mum and I opened the back of the car and anybody that knows me I'm not particularly a shouter at all and I was like get out the car we got out and literally this Teacher stood there, didn't know what to do. I'm throwing book bags, I'm throwing shoes, I'm throwing everything. And I just turned around and I said, how many more years have I got to scream at you for some help? So we went off, we had the day. I got a call a couple of hours later. The bubble had burst. You need to come and pick him up and isolate him for two weeks. And I got to the gate. I don't, my husband doesn't often get involved in this sort of stuff. He doesn't really get it very much, but I was like, you know what? I need you just to stand behind me. I was like, I'm at breaking point. I'm crumbling. I just need that bit of support. Stand behind me. And he walked across the playground and I could see him like head down, you know, really crying. And he come over and, and I got him and I hugged him. And I said, I will never, ever, ever do that to you again. I said, the only reason I had to do it was to show these people what we go through every day. And he sat and said to me, Mum, I really want to ask you what you did this morning. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, all I had on was me pants. You've chucked me in the back of that car. I know that you were driving too fast down that road. 
and then you just cut me out. I said, I know, but you know, we had to show them. And he went, why couldn't you have just told them? Mm. And I was like, because nobody will listen to me because, you know, and, and we work very closely together. It's taken us this year to build that back. And when we got to that point where we moved to the second school, we did the three weeks, we sat down together and I said, how, how are you feeling genuinely about all this? Because I get it to a certain extent at the first school, they didn't see his behaviours. They didn't see his difficulties. He masked beautifully. The second school, he did shout. And I was there, you know, one of the days they come out and they said, you know, I've got to shut the gate now. You're going to have to come in. I've got to shut the gate now. You're going to come in. And all of a sudden, all I heard was, I've already told you I'm sure I'm not going in there. And I was like, whoa. Like, I have that towards me, loads from him. I've never seen him do it towards someone else. And I was... You know, we come home and we we just sat and had a chat. And I said, look, you know, I've never I've never really seen you be like that with somebody else. And he was just like, well, why do they keep asking me if I'm sure? He said, I've already told them I'm sure. I'm not going to change my mind, you know. So I said, this is a really big decision, really, really big. We tried the first school and he said, yeah, that was awful. That was absolutely the worst. I said, we've tried the second school. And he went... Yeah, it weren't too bad. He said, you know, they've, they've really tried to help me. And I said, what do you really, really want? And he said, I want to stay at home and learn at home. And I said to him, okay. I think we've fought and we've tried and, you know, we've done everything we could for this long. So I was like, okay. And he went to bed and he got down the next day and he hugged me and he looked at me and he just went, mummy, you've made me so happy. And I was like, for me, you know, when they talk about resilience and things, like I say this to Pam, for me, my amazing little boy was brave enough to trust me and a second school. You know, he didn't have to do that from the experience in the first one. And I'm like, he gave it his all and he really, really tried and it didn't work. <clears throat> I am no longer traumatising him with trying to get him to do that because that's what you think is best for him. And when we've done the news and when he's talked to the news, like they did ask him about it and he just said it perfectly. He said, I just don't think I was made for school. And the photographer said, oh, okay. He said, why is that? And he said, I just don't like the way people try and force me to do things. And this, you know, I teach this to like the professionals that are involved until I'm blue in the face. I try and explain all this stuff and I'm like, you know, so many of them have left and gone, oh, I've learned so much from you today. And I'm like, well, that's great, but that's not really helped me. Do you know what I mean? This hasn't helped me or my family or support. But at the same time, it's like you can't just keep expecting to go in and tell people something off of a script that you've got. You know, the behaviour charts, the sticker charts. Take, uh, you know, and again, like coming back to that, you know, when they say to, said to me, well, I hope you're making it uncomfortable at home during the day. I hope you're not letting him go on his Xbox. I hope you're not letting him do whatever. And I said, oh, I am, yeah. And they, well, that's why he doesn't want to go to school. I said, no. I said, if you had a child in a classroom that was asthmatic, and one day at school they had an asthma attack, when they got home, would you say, well, you had an asthma attack at school today? No Xbox. Anxiety and mental health is no different. You know, and... Obviously, I should imagine you're getting the drift of this now, like how passionate I am just about all this and to change this and to. 
and I'm hoping, like, obviously, you know, we've started up the page so people can follow us with this petition. And obviously, my hope is that now I'm in a better place myself and I can take these. I can laugh now. Okay. If you spoke to me six months ago, you know, that day I had to put in a complaint that day when they said about 50p a day and they come in and she told me it was my negativity. And this was a supervisor that come in with a second woman and she said, well, I'm sorry, Mrs. Roberts, but I do believe it's your negativity. Your son picked up on that. And we don't think that you're coping very well. And I said, well, no shit. I've been asking for support for years and your support is to come in and say these things. And I, you know, they went off and spoke to him and they, he'd come back down in his dressing gown and he was like really like upset and uptight and he sat at the table and I said, Jeez, what's up? And he said, um, this lady has told me that I have to go to school full time. So I kind of looked at her and I said, okay. I said, you're fully aware that he's under cams and, and we've got a lot going on here. Why are you coming in and telling him that? And he said about robbers. I don't think it's right that the bosses get robbers to take money off of parents, obviously talking about crime. And she just leant across this lady and she looked at him and she said, that's how we make parents make their children go to school. And I just looked at her and I said, you are not speaking to my child like that. It is not appropriate. So off he went. Um, and again, it was one of them things, like, because I'd said, you know, he doesn't get dressed at home. He isn't getting dressed. And she'd gone off with him to come back down. And she said to me in the other work, I think we all need to get really excited. We really need to praise him. And he walked down in clothes. And I looked at him and I, looked at him and I said, I don't know what you're trying to achieve here. Like, you're trying to prove to me that he can get dressed. I said, I never said that he couldn't get dressed. He chooses not to get dressed. This is how he's comfortable. And he sort of stood there with his head down. And I, I just said, look, you know, please go. I said, the thing that you don't understand now is you've come in to help my family. You're going to leave. And I think he's now going to melt down. He's going to probably become quite violent. He's going to be very distressed. And she went, oh, teach you, does he? So I said, well, you know, when he's in meltdown, he can't control. She said, well, that isn't acceptable. I suggest you ring the police. And I was like... <laughs> What do you think the police are going to do when they turn up to my house and I've got a child in distress and meltdown? You know, he's an eight-year-old boy that desperately, well, then, he was an eight-year-old boy that desperately needed help. And she left and, and he sat next to me and he cried and he said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, mummy. And I said, what? And he said, I'm so sorry that I got dressed with that lady, but she told me it'd make you happy. I was like, you know, you just can't write it. It's like, you know, and, and I felt that I had to put in a complaint. And the day my husband got home that day, I was literally on the sofa, just physically shaking and crying. And he was like, what on earth has happened now? And I was like, this is what's just happened. And, I, you know, oh, that was it. But I, I said my husband would be home soon because they said, oh, we're really worried about you. Yeah, well, don't come in and wind me up then. But, um. Well, you're lucky, you know, you're lucky that you've got a husband because some people are out there on their own doing this. And if I'm honest with you, that is my moment where I really got that fire because I thought of all them families out there on their own, them single mums in this situation being spoken to like this by helpers. And I was like, nah, 
I've got to win this fight. I've got to change this system, do you know? There's some, there's some something has happened. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I'm sure, unfortunately, um, there are parents out there that maybe on some level want their child to be at home so they can look after them and, and things like that. But I reckon it's pretty bloody few. And what's ridiculous is the amount of parents that get treated as if that's what they're doing when on the one hand, you're not sending your child into school because of the distress it's causing. But on the other hand, you're going to every meeting, every EHCP review saying, I want education put in place. I want education put in place. Well, it can't be both, can it? It can't be, oh, well, it's mum's anxiety and she's not really making him go to school, but also she wants him in a school. Well, it exactly doesn't make any sense. Was, if I was a parent that was a bad parent, or I was a parent that just couldn't be bothered. I'd sit here and go, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, don't can't. I wouldn't have fought you for five years, would I? Mm. You know, I'd be sitting at home going, I don't care. My second argument is I have three children with three different needs. My daughter, who is 12, absolutely flies through the system. Now, well, I went to the same school. So on one hand, the school was telling me about my daughter. Oh, one of the top pupils we've ever had. Brilliant parenting. Well done, you. Wonderful. Delightful. Then you've got my child that has difficulties, and it's like, oh, well, you're a bad parent. And I'm like, well, make your mind up, because they're both my children, and we very much live in a very low-demand house. We live, you know, I don't treat them any differently, because I don't think that's fair, and, and how people parent is up to them. You know, you might have parents that say, oh, well, your brother gets away with this because X, Y, and Z. I felt what we needed to do once we had the diagnosis was to sit down and explain what that meant. And I didn't want any of them to feel like any of them had advantages over others because, they, you know, and I try and be very, you know, uh, my daughter really struggled at times with us, you know, like I say, I'm not going to lie. I, I've been that parent. I've shouted at him. I've got frustrated. But the reason the frustration is there is because I've got that pressure above me to get him into school or we're going to be late for school. Kicks off my anxiety crazily because then I start getting like flustered and, and they pick up on that and they don't want to go, which is another one really. Which is so again, sorry to interrupt me, but again, so another example of the contradiction. They've told you at some point, this is down to your anxiety. And then on the other hand, are doing things like fining you, which is going to make you what? more anxious so the problem is your anxiety but also be anxious otherwise we're, you know, we're going to find you yeah like what the f it is ludicrous i think um you know I, i'm really interested to to hear more from you on what you think could be done differently and better i've got lots of thoughts of my own that i've shared before but you know and again specifically with the petition what I like is it's addressing a, a, a sort of specific thing like the fining, because that does just put so many parents under stress. Sorry? Do you mind a bit of visual learning? No, I can, I can probably do a bit of visual learning. Um, okay, so when I was at school, I, I was ne pretty similar. Like I discussed with you sort of in the message earlier. I believe now from learning about my son and listening to things, yes, I think I am very probably autistic myself and I personally relate to a lot of the PDA things that are discussed with everybody so I used to sit at school and obviously 
timetables. I can't do timetables. You'd sit in the classroom and you'd hear people going two, four, twelve, nine, and I'd think, what the hell are they going on about all the time? It just doesn't sink in. But a head teacher showed me this one and it was about bullying and it was in an assembly and it stuck with me forever because I'm a visual learner. Okay, you know I can't see the spaghetti at the moment. I know it's spaghetti because you told me, but there you go. Oh. Right, so this is my theory and this is how I want things to change. Yeah, this is okay. my feeling. For those of you listening to an audio-only podcast, Maddie is now holding three pieces of spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's all right, no, do it anyway, it'd be funny. Uncooked spaghetti. Uncooked spaghetti. So I think what we're getting in society, right? So this is like your parents and your child and you, you go in and you have your diagnosis or whatever. And I think like everything that happens, like you need me HCP or nobody's there to support you or you just got to get your child to school and we're going to fine you. Uh, your child doesn't sit still in the classroom, right? Negative, negative, negative. See Maddie is breaking the spaghetti every time she mentions a negative factor to make it shorter and shorter. And now it's in tiny little pieces. In her hands, okay? Broken. All broken. And I'm going to do, I don't know if people are old enough to remember Blue Peter, but here's some. <laughs> so here's all my other pieces that I see as all the other families out there, right? The other parents, the other children, right? We're all, this is us representing us as parents. We're all completely broke. And I think when we go to government, local authorities, schools, any kind of meeting that you go to, you go to on your own. And quite often than not, there's what, five, six, seven professionals mm. against mm. you by yourself. Snapped and broken like this before you've even got there. So what I want to do is collect all these parents, children, and start getting lots of bits of spaghetti, right? And at this, obviously, the page that we've done for the petition is called Altering attitudes all three attitudes where i would like to come in so this part here when we've got people and i think you know we talk a lot about validation don't we so i think it's actually very useful and good for parents to validate their feelings because you know not everybody got you know not everybody expects their child to get a diagnosis not everybody expects their child to be neurodivergent it might not be i guess like you know when you're as a kid and you for Christmas, you wanted a blue bike, yeah? So it was like, blue bike, blue bike, blue bike. Rush down the Christmas morning, rat, get that open, and it's a red bike. So you've still got what you wanted. You still have the red bike that you wanted, but it's not quite what you expect. Now, this is where my cogs start going, because what we know happens later on down the road is a lot of these parents then realise they're neurodivergent themselves. And do you think that there could be a bit in that diagnosis before the parents know that, that it's even that change of something not being what you expected? Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So saying as, as for a parent, it would be a different parenting journey than you expected or? Yeah, but also like I think, you know, there's a lot out there that not resentment of your child because then you're a neurodivergent, but you know, a lot of, there's a lot of negativity around it, isn't there? Like a parent would be like, oh, God, my child can't do this. Or, oh, God, yeah, there can, there can be, I think there can be a bit of a grieving process for what you expected parenthood to be. But again, that's tied up with the negativity, isn't it? That's the... Um, you see what I mean? So like the red bike is what you expected, what you wanted, but actually you've got a blue bike. Now... Yeah. And blue bikes can be awesome. You know. <laughs> but 
I, I didn't go through that myself. I didn't have a grieving process or anything like that for my son. All I wanted was the right help and support. And what I'm trying to, I guess what I'm trying to say is that's where we need to get into parents. So these broken bits of spaghetti that have all been broken down has a lot of that is society and cultural things that are negatively put in your head about your child's diagnosis. You know, you, you know everything going forward is going to be a fight. You know everything going forward is going to be a battle. But massive amounts of spaghetti now. So when you get into okay. spaghetti, like Imagine that got loads of spaghetti. That was enough spaghetti to feed a family of very hungry Italians. Yep. So now this is us with our petition, right? Mm -hmm. This is now all of our parents together. This is now our children together. And we go off now to a meeting or wherever and... I can't even do she it. She can't snap it. She's trying hard. She can't. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, that's... You shouldn't have tried so hard because that's ruined your analogy. <laughs> but we could all be broken together. Is yeah, true, true. true. Oh, but yeah. Probably better not to be broken at all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, the kids will be happy because we've got pasta for dinner. But... <laughs> But you couldn't have broken it into the little pieces like you did before. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have snapped like that. It was just right down in the middle. We're together. We're that community now. Do you just and and there's power in that. And I know, like obviously, when people think about you know safety in numbers and things like that. And I think what I would like to do personally, like that bit where that where the parent is still by themselves and they're still being very easily broken, is to maybe sit down and be like you know what, what is it that you're worried about because I think a lot of parents it's more about the society it's more about society's views on their children than their own mm -hmm. and kind of be like it's okay to have concerns or worries or whatever unpack that and then as the saying goes don't live there unpack that of how you feel but then that altering attitudes obviously is let's sit down and look at the positive what can your child achieve what can your child do what are they good at if we can change that bit in society by, you know, taking that pressure away of, um, taking that pressure away of fines, taking that pressure away of, oh, well, you've got to be at the school for nine o'clock in the morning or, do you know what I mean? It's like, it becomes then, let's, let's build this into positive. Let's, let's get our children and instead of wasting all this money on all these, I mean, I don't even know how much they would have spent on professional time sitting in all these meetings, but all that money could have gone into Harley and all mm. that money could have gone into him and the things that he enjoys. And it's, you know, for him to sit and say to me, I wish I didn't have autism and ADHD, mummy, because it's me that's caused all these problems for you. And I'm like, it, it's not you that's caused them problems. It's the rest of the world, it's society, it's the culture that do not understand you and don't understand how awesome you are and, and how many amazing talents you've got. And I think that's where we need to get in. And, and Jess sort of touched on it a bit yesterday on one of her lives that I was watching, um, you know, that kind of getting in there from really young. And I, I suggested this to the school, you know, instead of having a classroom and trying to get my son to fit into that classroom why can't we do some teaching with the children that are in that classroom about Harley's diagnosis is about you know how he 
you know, struggles with his emotions or maybe he might be a bit more tearful than what the other children are. He might get frustrated really quickly, but that's okay because then what we're doing is building the next generation of children that are actually educated and like, oh yeah, okay, that's cool. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I just think that, I don't know. So, well, social skills, I've, I've, yeah, I've talked about this before. I think it's, it's kind of like social skills training, but for the other kids, you know, because actually being good socially is about being inclusive, learning, learning to accept people that are a bit different from yourself and, and accommodate them. I liked what you said in your um, talk to, uh, you told me what it was officially before we started, but I'm going to say dinosaurs because you also said that. So talk to the dinosaurs. Um, but you're talking about like the... Um, like the alternative provisions that should be being provided the kind of the non-school environments i think that's huge like there's there's like a we, we've siphoned everything down to the most cost effective way of churning out education to the masses um and yes it's going to cost more but actually i don't know if it would because i think if you save money on all those pointless meetings like you said all the times that a, a child's placement broke down and there was meetings for this and they had so many traumatic experiences at school. They've now got to go to this ridiculously expensive private school when actually what the government could be doing is saying, well, we've got some funding for alternative schools. So they don't have to be independent money-making schools. They can still be a government school, but it's just not in a massive building with loads of kids and loads of different rooms and loads of different teachers. It's just a, a different way of approaching it. It's, it's, it's bizarre to me that, that they can't think outside the box a little bit for that. You know, the system's been there since the 40s. Does um, education other than at school, um, Serena, she'll be watching this and listening, um, but she is just absolutely amazing. So she runs her own company um, and each child that she takes on is a bespoke package, is child-led, everything that she teaches is around that child's interest. Um, the first time I sat down and spoke to her, I kind of talked to her, um, you know, about maths and English and stuff like that, which I just love the way she was like, you know, we're going to we're going to teach that in life skills, though. And she she's itching to get her hands on um, my son's EHCP because everything that they've put in there at the moment is setting him up to fail is really like unachievable things. Plus also the fact, bear in mind, he's had it since September. And when they wrote it, I sat in the meeting and said, this is pointless because he can't get into school. So it's not going to benefit him because he can't get into school, but yet that's still been running. We're now, what, middle of February. Um, to which the answer for that one was, well, we're running out of time to the deadline, so we'll finalise it and you can appeal it. Brilliant. So I'm telling you openly, I'm not happy with it and you're going to tell me that you're going to just do it anyway and I can appeal it later. But you know, look at like a bit of what I was saying about the positivity, the positive side, you know, in his EHCP, the way she would work with him is, you know, for the social skills for going out on transport to, you know, learn about money in the math side of how things cost or how much it would be to go on the train for the day. And you go, do you know what I mean? And, and she sort of talked about starting because out of all of this and what come out of CAMS was um, he scores way above threshold for separation anxiety, social phobia, panic, uh, general anxiety, OCD, depression. And I'm kind of like, right, so this is kind of a big helping hand from society and the education system, basically, where you've not listened to me all the time about this. 
and I have a bit of a, you know, that needs to go in his EHBP in a way, and, and you can't get this through sometimes to people. He doesn't have separation anxiety. People look at it and they're like, oh, he wants to be at home and he wants to be with you. When you talk to him and you get an understanding of him, he's very aware of the people that he feels comfortable with that understand him and people that don't, which was proved recently. He's doing like a farm placement for an hour with um, autism Bedfordshire. So, you know, and he goes and he loves it. And the first thing he said to me when he got in the car after the first session was, I really think that lady understands me, mummy. Hmm. And I sit in my car for an hour and I watch him. And, and no separation anxiety, I'd imagine, or, or le much less as soon as someone that gets him. Again, it's another, another contradiction, isn't it, Maddie? That, we, you know, so if you had a son that was like, oh, I don't want to see mum, I don't want to spend any time with her, or, you know, get me away from her, quite rightly, professionals would be like, okay, that's, some diff that's something going on there, let's look into that oh, the child never wants to leave you because you're the only person they trust and, and that gets them. Oh, well, that's bad parenting as well then. So it's, it's yeah. you're fucked, aren't you, really? You can't win. I have literally spent, dedicated, really, the last five years, and I have done, and, and I've done that against my wishes a lot, but I've done everything that's been asked of me. I've done all the parenting courses. I've done all the this, that, and the other jazz. and Because... If you decline it, then what gets said is, oh, well, we've tried to help, but mum declines it. So, you know, I've wasted hours of my life doing this thing. And I've sat in the beginning of these meetings, put my hand up and said, you know, I've been suggested to come on this course. My son's autistic. He's very likely got a PDA profile that we can't have diagnosed because it isn't diagnosed here. And they go, oh, this won't work for him then. Brilliant. Why have I been sent here then? Mm. You know, and it's like, I don't, even down to like professionals like the school, you know, all right, we sat with Autism Bedfordshire in one of the meetings and they said to the school, look, you know, we know PDA isn't diagnosed in our area, but that doesn't mean we can't use strategies to help that child, right? So I come home, went on the PDA Society and I have to say they're another amazing one supporting this petition. Mm -hmm. but I, I printed it all off for him. As easy, you know, as easy as you could, printed it all off printed they do like they've got a template ehbp as well mm -hmm. printed all that off took it to the school the same people that sat in the meeting with me the day before do you know what they said but he doesn't have a diagnosis of that does he you just go around in circles you could really yeah you could um but again like i said you know i i hear a lot of stories about unfortunately very similar to yours about you know just baffling ignorance on a lot of professionals but what's really important is uh stories of change ideas for change um the petition you know things like that to actually get something happening that is gonna hopefully change this i think you, you touched on something that i would i would certainly add to that is that you know whilst i accept we can't necessarily literally give the parent the education budget and go well, mind you I, in an ideal world why not fuck it but you know some might need a bit of guidance but yeah but i mean just listening to parents would would actually not like you said not only do, you know i've always put it forward as well the parents are the experts listen to them they're usually right um but you're 
what you said about it would actually save a lot of money, save a lot of time. Like it would save a lot of effort on both parts, you know, because those meetings, like you said, it, it, what what seems to happen is their automatic response is refuse the EHCP, make the parent go to tribunal. Well, parents know their rights nowadays and are better better at that, most of them. And, and so they go to tribunal and it always gets overturned. How much money does that just that waste, that extra step of, well, let's turn them down in the hope that they go away? That, that's all it can be because otherwise they would become they they wouldn't be getting so many come back from tribunal that have been overturned but so, think, yeah I mean, one for that which is another thing that i fight for when i sit in the council meetings and talk is the fact that there's a lack of lived experience with all of hmm. these people that you talk to or are in charge of things which just it makes the process like so frustrating and and i've said on many occasions that parents would benefit from working with a team of people that understand what they're talking about that have some sort of lived experience now some people like have said to me oh well you know it might not be very professional you may have worked with some people that have, have got lived experience but they don't tell you and i went no 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 if somebody's got lived experience of something, they don't even have to tell you they have lived experience of it. You're just naturally going to feel it because, for example, somebody that comes in and you're on your knees and you're crying and you're begging and you don't know what to do with your child that has lived through that would never say, can you see this GP? <laughs> you know, it's like it, it just isn't there in the system. So I think there's that. And sort of going back to touching on what we were talking about, finances and budgets, which is another one of my passions that I talk at the meetings about, is not schools for the future, but education for the future. Mm. And we as parents, you know, we're sitting out here and we listen to them in these meetings talking about millions of pounds for schools for the future. And we listen to, you know, these state-of-the-art buildings and, and ramp facilities and all of that, which... Don't get me wrong, there's absolutely a need for that. There's absolutely a cry out for that. But there's this this bubble here, you know, and that's what I felt that I had to say to the dinosaurs. You know, I think a lot of people that are up here making decisions are kind of thinking when you talk about STEM or um, additional needs or things, they're thinking of children with learning disabilities and physical disabilities. Now, you know, what I was presenting to them is, you know, some of our children have very, very, very hidden disabilities. Mm. And you can't bunch all these children in together in a whacking great new school and meet all these different complex needs. So when you take that aside, these are our children for the future. These are our future. And I think it is so desperately sad that right now we are seeing children at an all-time low with mental health that are having negative experience within their family homes because parents can't cope, they don't know what to do. You've then got the negative of, you know, if they are able to get into school, it seems to be all the negative about the things that they can't achieve in school to be like their peers. And it's like, but that was my sentence. We're in 2022. Why are we not empowering and embracing our autistic children, building them up to feel really good about themselves, be really confident? Like, you know, my son is absolutely amazing with technology and stuff. Right. So instead of going, well, you don't go and sit in lesson and listen to. I mean, when they tried to tell him in assembly, he sat in assembly and he used his card to come out. And the lady said, well, why did you come out of assembly? He said, well, I sat there the other day and they told me, be good, 
try your best. He's like, all right, don't keep going on about it every day. <laughs> and like they laugh, but I'm like, that's what he's telling you. You're like drilling in this information that you've already told him. He doesn't feel that you need to keep telling him. However, imagine how good it would be right now if we were allowing child-led education, teaching them what they're interested in now and allowing them to do that with experts in that area. By the time our children are 18 and ready to go to work, they are going to be absolute experts in whatever they want to go out and achieve. Mm. Why are we still worried about GCSEs? Why are we still worried about, you know, oh, my child isn't going to get 10 GCSEs, they're not going to achieve anything in life? You know, and again, sort of linking on to that, um, the social side of it, when I sit in that farm and I sit, you know, in my car and I watch him now for an hour with the other little boy that's very similar to him, they run around freely. They interact, they're laughing, they do little science experiments together and make volcanoes. And you know what? I sit there and I think to myself, where are all the professionals now that are writing EHCTs telling me my son's got no social skills? Because he does in an environment where he's himself. Where he's this is it. Yeah, it's, it's the environment plays such a factor. And what I guess is it, it's totally cultural as well, because if, you know, it's almost like we've voted for the state to take control and provide education from the taxes we pay but they chose to go with this school system that clearly isn't working for everyone so you know when I was sort of saying oh tongue-in-cheek like well you know okay of course the parents can't have the education budgets well why not like what why can't you say well okay the state would have been spending whatever it is per child a year on my child's education it ain't working for him can I spend that on his education please and I get to organize through third party providers or charities that do stuff you know it's it, it happens all in other countries it happens you know on bats an eyelid in certain countries when the, the parent goes no no no, we're not sending them to school they're going to stay home and do this now you know it's, it's all up for debate but I think I guess the only there are some counters, aren't there? There, there are people that would say, well, you need to have, say, a, a, an education system that has an, a, an achievement award so that people, the employees, employers can look for skills. But like you say, the, the GCSE idea is, is a bit outdated. There's loads of vocational qualifications. There's ASDANs. There's, there's loads of alternatives now. Or you can literally just do a, an online degree in the, your topic of interest and not have a maths GCSE. That's my argument. You know, when you look at even like with my daughter at their school is attendance. Yes, all children that have attended for 98% of the time, you can have a special trip at the end of term. Well, just because they've managed to get into school does not mean that that should be something that is celebrated. Yeah, it's great for the children that can manage that. Like I say, like my daughter. But why should my, again, another negative, well, you can't manage to get to school every day, so you're not going to get the nice trip at the end of the year. Well, I heard about one where the school did like a non-school uniform day. I mean, how absolutely disgusting is that to say, right, if your attendance is really good, you can come into school in non-uniform. The children's who attendance has been low, well, you've still got, you know, you're going to come in and stick out like a sore thumb because I struggle, and then I'm going to struggle even more because now I'm in my... It doesn't make a school appealing. And, and the next, I've got a meeting next week with um, like the children's uh, di director about my um, complaint. And obviously, I'm not 
I think they know because I've already been in the press and I'm online and I'm fighting for families. I think they already knew before they got the report to say, yes, I'm right, that I'm going to do something with this, which obviously is what's led to the petition and stuff. But I'm not going to drop it. I'm going to go in with them and say, right, these say these are the five things that my report has shown up. What are you going to do about it? And who's going to do stuff about it? And what policies are going to change about it? And when you're looking at the budget in for schools for the future, whereas I'd like to think about education for the future now, when they took out like the legal barriers here for attend, uh, applying for EHCPs, like our council described it as a tidal wave of mm. application for EHCPs. What I said in my speech to them the other week is when you realise your legal obligation to provide an education for children that can't get into school, you're going to have a tsunami of this. Yes. So say in six months' time, we're about to hit like this huge tsunami, right? This is going to go out where I am because they, they have agreed that they're going to anonymously put it out for the public to see and where their wrongdoings were and how they're going to try to fix that in the future. So publicly, what you're telling people is, yes, when your child can't attend school, you don't need excessive amounts of medical evidence because that's not in the law anywhere. Um, and that they are going to have to provide that education. Now, the problem is, like we've just spoke about, where is that education? Where yeah. is that provision? Because then you're going to get all these children sitting at home, which actually like, yes, we know we need to provide you an education, but oh, no. Now there isn't anything. So you take some of this, in my opinion, you take some of this budget out of your millions for your shiny new schools and you start educating and building on, I mean, like someone said to me the other day, like the Zoom meeting. So a, a way of using good resources is you could set up like the online Zoom with somebody that really understood like children's topics of interest. And then you could have maybe four children in that hour there you know so that child's still at home they've accessed somebody that really understands them or my dream i'm just a mummy with a dream but is like looking at like the smaller buildings that we have everywhere like say you know um nursing homes and things that have shut down or youth centers okay so you take that and then you only allow maybe say 10 children you're catering for you have somewhere that you go in and it's child-led and you don't have a bell that tells you at 12 o'clock you've got to eat your lunch or that you've got to sit in the classroom and you're not allowed to go for a wee and you bring in everybody that's got this passion for positive changes and for you know positive learning in a child's way and, and we pop them in different rooms and it, you know I think I, those, I mean, they're brilliant ideas. And I think that some of them are quite, you know, they're really, really out of the box, which is brilliant, exactly what we need. But I also don't think we need to go even that far. I think like they could change the mainstream because the trouble is when we, when we outsource to providers, unfortunately, you know, I've always worked for charity organisations or, you know, my, or myself with Neurodive. Um, people do sometimes get hold of these ideas and, and make profit from them. Um, and, and it's a bit like Wild West out there. But actually, why don't the government, like you say, instead of spending millions on like a shiny new massive multiplex school, why don't they say, well, we're going to build three little schools in that area? One of them is traditional secondary, loads of teachers, loads of classes. One of them is, I don't know, say a nurture environment where you a bit like primary, where you get the same teacher all the way through, same class all the way through. Uh, this one's a small school this one's a forest school and actually just say 
like like you said education for the future not schools and if it is still schools different kinds of schools you know change i don't know whether you agree with me here and and, and i'll sort of put myself out on that because this is just like my observation is like so i suppose years ago when you had less not you didn't have less children who were autistic or not neurodivergent but you had a less understanding or mm. a less um you know uh, children being diagnosed and things like that and i guess like what parents potentially maybe did in that time was don't exclude my child they should be in mainstream you know they've got a right to that and i my kind of feeling that I sit here now, I'm not saying that we should segregate, but I think very much like what we're looking at is like different needs, isn't it? Mm. And, and I see it from two sides. I see it from my daughter that absolutely thrives in mainstream. And I kind of feel sometimes when the government are letting down our neurodivergent children and not meeting their needs, I kind of feel that has a knock on effect on the neurotypical children that are in mainstream because, you know, we have children that walk past and she'll say, oh, mum, you know, there's that boy. And I'll say, what? And she's like, oh, he's always trying to distract the teacher and he's mm. always doing this. And, and, and in a way, you know, if that works for them children to learn in that mainstream school and they sit and they, you know, whatever, then brilliant, we should be allowed to leave them and have their teachers and do that and then like you say you can you can have the schools that are going to be shiny new schools with ramps and uh you know aids and things like that that you need for for the children with learning disabilities or physical disabilities and then we have this other area and i think you know it's just through my son through what i've just been through for the last five years that is where my passion is and i and i guess like that's you know in a nutshell what it comes down to i want to try and be able to help make changes whilst also taking away that frust you know and, and i've sat down with my children and i said you know i've lost it and i've and i've said you know what guys like i'm sorry and i've said to harley i know you know i know i've really shouted at you this morning and 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 i tried to get you out and i couldn't and and i said you know what it's not you it's not you that I'm frustrated at. It's the system and mm. it's society and it's the culture. And, you know, not, I don't believe all parents can sit down and say that to their children. I don't, you know, and that, that's kind of where I want to. Well, I'm, I'm fully behind it, Maddie. And anything I can do to support along the way, uh, just, just give me a shout. Uh, thank you for, for talking okay, to me today. Uh, yeah, I, you need to get, uh, you need to get some stronger spaghetti or something. Yeah. Like, but, but yeah. I'm, well, I'm gathering more signatures, so with that, I'll gather some more spaghetti. <laughs> get a massive watch, yeah. <laughs> um, just really, really quickly, because I've got to get to um, another meeting. So um, what what can people do to follow, to find? I mean, I'll share the link to the petition with this anyway. And um, you mentioned the Facebook page. What's the Facebook page called again? Um, Susan and I have just set it up, and it's um, Altering Attitudes Advocacy. Um, Altering so Attitudes Advocacy. I'll send you a thing um, mm -hmm. to leave. But ultimately, obviously, that's what we want to do. We just want to be changing that attitude, you know, right down from the parent point of view, which, like you say, sometimes just comes from being able to say, mm -hmm. yeah, I've been there, I've, you know, but Definitely. sort of changing the negative to a positive and hopefully get some changes made from the powers that be. Yes, well, do sign the petition if, if you've listened to this, because like I said, sometimes... Sometimes there's what seems like a, well, it doesn't even seem like a small change, but it's a, it's a specific step can get the ball rolling. And, and you know, even, 
yeah but actually to be fair it's a huge step i think it would take so much pressure off parents you know that the finance system to me is bollocks anyway i've got a two-year-old and i'm already thinking and he's you know i i think he's neurotypical it's quite early to tell but um it's like is it too much for me to ask to want to be able to just take him on holiday when i want to take him on holiday what the fuck is that about how dare you find me for taking my child on holiday the most one of the most important family well-being developmental connection to things you can do as a parent with your child and I can't do it unless it's really expensive well yeah but it's like yeah and, and, then, and then finding when they're too stressed to go in you know so it's a really important thing um my son but, had a brilliant way of looking at it when when they said like about going back to school on the uh, 8th of March blah, blah 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 and he said well it was all right for us to learn from home when they in the pandemic when they yeah, when they told us to yeah exactly <laughs> yeah Anyway, take care and thank you so much for your time, Sam. No, thank you, Maddie. Thank you for speaking to me. And uh, for everyone listening, you know, share the episode, follow the podcast, uh, like, comment, all those things really help. Uh, and 100% definitely, definitely sign that petition and share it amongst people that, that might also sign it as well. All right. Thank you again, Maddie. Bye.